as long as I am moving forward in some way and I'm continually resonating with that goal of like using creativity to better the world and hopefully grow as an individual as well, then I will take up this opportunity. There's no point just kind of like stalling out here, trying to shoot for some goal. It's better just to start doing the work now and start developing and start trying to make a difference in whatever way I can. And I realize I need that momentum in my life. I feel like when I'm in motion, I'm at my best. Hey, Sean, how are you, man? I am good. I'm very good. Yes. What are you doing? Actually, I'll start off with icebreaker question number one. What the heck yeah. are you doing in the Philippines? Because you told me before <laughs> this recording that you are now there. You're an Australian guy. You're in the Philippines. What's the deal with that? Yeah, so you can probably tell from my like nice retro curtains. I'm actually in a relative's place in the Philippines. I'm here for probably the, I've been here for around like, let's say a month and a half, up to two months is when I'll be here. Um, but basically uh, this year, I've been going through a bit of a career pivot, which has involved a couple of things. It involved quitting a job. It involved staying in Japan for three months with my uh, partner who's studying a MBA there actually and then as part of that as well I wanted to come to the Philippines I'm half Filipino and I guess the Philippines has always been a bit of a second home for me actually um, since I've I used to go there every two years when I was a kid and it's with COVID and everything it got kind of messy I haven't really been here for since five years so it felt like a perfect opportunity, not only to connect with family, but also kind of connect with one of my like latent cultures that I don't think gets as much love as I've been giving it. So I that's why I'm did here. Not, I did not know you had the Filipino roots. That's awesome. And well, is yeah, it on your dad's side or mom's side? On my mom's side, on my mom's side. So she came over to Australia, I think, in the early 90s. Do you still speak the language? That's the weird thing. So I came here also wanting to get better at reconnect with your roots right yeah yeah because i actually it's kind of weird because i grew up in australia and i think my mom she had this conundrum that she could she didn't know what to do whether to speak english or speak filipino to me and she was surrounded by um a lot of australians because i don't think at that time maybe early 90s there wasn't as built up the filipino community so uh, she just spoke to me in English throughout my whole life. And then I went through the Australian schooling system through English there. But throughout my life, there's enough Filipino surrounding me that I can actually, I'm very surprised at myself with how much I can grasp of conversations. So it's really, let's say like 70% of conversations, I can probably like grasp what's going on. But I always have to respond in English, which always feels like a bit of a cop out. So um, I really wanted to build like my Filipino ability a bit better here. But mm -hmm. it's been going not as amazing as I thought, but I'm still I'm still happy with any progress. It's called uh, is it Tagalog? Is that is that the, mm. the, so? The so the national language is called Filipino. Um, and Filipino was I think kind of made after the Philippines got like independence from America and all the colonialism and things like that. They really decolonized, decolonized, and got independence. Yeah, um, but they really wanted to have a national language, so that became Filipino, which its base form is the dialect of Tagalog, but it takes some other 
I guess, grammatical elements at times from other dialects or incorporates a lot of English. So it's a bit of a composite version of Tagalog, but its base form is Tagalog. Um, I imagine probably similar to like Mandarin and Chinese in quotation marks, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Mandarin is the the dialect or yes. And then there are different regional dialects of Mandarin. I, I guess it's called Putonghua or normal language, literally normal, mm. normal tongue. And then mm. uh, there's like regional things. So it sounds like I don't think it's exactly the same, but but uh, it's yeah, they're, they're different offshoots. Maybe it's more analogous to when I was because I grew up in Canada. Maybe it's more like. Oh, man, this might I might offend a lot of people, but maybe <laughs> how like French Quebec or French Canadian is a little bit different from French French. And yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's like as, a, as an ignorant as a person wholly ignorant <laughs> of Filipino culture, I may have offended people on all sides right now but no i think the i think because the like taking tagalog and then kind of nationalizing it kind of similar to like how mandarin was taken and then nationalizing it i think is kind of a similar approach and then there's all these other dialects within the country so my family they can only speak tagalog or really filipino but a lot of other places in different areas of the philippines they might be able to speak tagalog and their dialect so like Visayan and things like that right so um so that's the language, but yeah, it's pretty cool. And it sounds like your parents had a very similar, or your mom had a similar dilemma to that facing a lot of parents that are sort of settling into a new culture, immigrating. Like, do I, do I, do I use my mother tongue with my child mm. or do I, do I try to assimilate them more quickly at a, you know, there's trade-offs, right? So, cause I, I went through that when, you know, our, our family immigrated to, to Canada. So um I'll, I'll, i don't know I, I i didn't know you were actually partly asian so it's like this is a brand new well well for me that's that's i find that very interesting that you use the word partly asian because um to be honest most of my life and appearance wise as well i feel like i have kind of self-identified as like i'm white or something like that but then throughout my life and particularly now as you kind of grow into adult and you're trying to find your identity i feel like now it's more important than ever for me to just kind of be who i am if that makes sense yes. and part of that is being filipino yeah so i'm all about kind of i don't know working out my own self-identity so i do i would say i am asian um now very proudly and it's interesting a lot of my friends around me uh, one of my best friends was like sean i've always thought you're asian why would you think any other about yourself i'm like oh it, i don't know i just kind of convince myself in some particular way i think appearance also kind of does that to you and also i think um maybe this is a bit of controversial opinion but i think uh filipinos in particular in like a lot of mainstream media don't get as much um representation as i would kind of personally like to see um let's take for example like the spider-man movies um you have ned in it who is filipino ethnicity um there's a scene where andrew garfield walks into his lola's house lola's grandma um in filipino um but i guess kind of relegated to that kind of side character kind of funny side character kind of area now i'd like to see in future when kind of the philippines gets our own kind of shang chi in uh, popular media or something like that so yeah. i feel like that would help a lot of filipinos i think especially a lot of filipinos as well because there's a big Obviously, a lot of Filipinos go overseas. It's one of the biggest, I guess, um, how to put it, 
overseas Filipino workers make up a huge portion of the Filipino economy, which in that is kind of amazing in itself. But it means there's a lot of children of Filipinos who grow up in foreign countries and kind of don't really know what to do with their identity. And I think now they're growing up into essentially me, a half Filipino, but I think there's also full Filipinos as well that maybe can't even speak Filipino themselves, but are kind of lost. So I feel like, yeah, that'll be something that I think is very important and I'm realizing is very important as I go through life. So that's why I'm very happy to be in the Philippines at this moment. Do you have a religious background as well? Because I know that the Philippines, what it's... just throw a number out there. It's like 99% Catholic, right? Yeah, no, it's it's hyper, hyper Catholic in the majority of the Philippines because of the Spanish uh, colonialism. But the South is also um, Muslim. There's kind of a Muslim majority within the South, but yeah, overall Catholic. Um, I used to, that's a really, really good question because, and again, I don't know if controversial or not, but when I was a kid, my... Mom, she's kind of a bit of a casual Catholic, if that makes sense. But I think parents, they really want to like, I'm not a very good Catholic, but you should be a good Catholic. So I, I got I got told to like, hey, like learn your our fathers, learn like the rosary and things like Eat that. Eat your vegetables and learn your, <laughs> your prayers. Yeah. yeah, learn how to do like the rosary beads and things like that. And it all became a bit, I don't know, it's something that I didn't didn't really resonate with me. I used to go to the Philippines and see all these statues of like Jesus and like the Virgin Mary is everywhere in the Philippines on like street corners. There's just statues of the Virgin Mary. And I used to find them very like, uh, these are kind of tacky. These are kind of like, uh, not very cool. Um, and I was really puzzled, I guess, with the whole premise of confession in particular. I'm a big, like how to put it, personal believer in like it's your own responsibility to be the best version of yourself and to self-improve i don't like the idea that things can just be kind of solved by some kind of you know ritual outside power yeah 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 yeah. so i I didn't find that resonating with me and um i'm not i don't know if i've mentioned or talked but i went to like japan i like cried in front of some buddha statues because like whoa these are so amazing i love the idea of buddhism it's like wow so much fostering yourself and self-growth and things like that. So I guess I'd align with that more now, that kind of idea, that more like philosophy of like self-improvement and mindfulness, et cetera. But being in the Philippines now, I realize there's something that's culturally embedded in me. I actually feel something now when I see all these Virgin Marys on the um, street corner, which when I was a kid, I didn't, I kind of like shrugged it off. But now I'm like, wait, there's something about how it represents a culture that is a part of me that now it's kind of really important. So yeah, I've kind of come full circle. <laughs> Not to say that I like believe in God or I'm a Catholic or anything like that, but it's had an influence on me. And even if you did, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of at the point in my life where I just think there are just, I've just gone through different cycles. You know, I, I grew up Catholic. I did, I was an altar boy for 10 plus years. Uh, I was probably the tallest altar boy in our in our church. Uh, I did the whole baptism, confirmation, Catholic school, the whole nine yards. I've been in and out of different states of my relationship with spirituality. And I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but I'm still, I still consider, consider myself spiritual. And the more I think about myself growing up in my past, it's like, that's just the part of me that I can't, I can't not acknowledge, right? It's exactly. like, I, like, I don't have any sort of, it's not like I have some sort of allergic reaction to that stuff any, or anything. It's just 
part of who I am. I've gone through phases in my life. I've had different views and perspectives. Part of, part of growing up, right? It's just like you you take on different viewpoints. I had my flirtation with introductory Buddhism. I I, I you know I, I read a few like introductory texts in in that world and. I find some of the concepts quite fascinating and it's, it's totally fine. Like I, the reason I feel like I can talk about this stuff with you is because you always struck me even through your, your content or your work as someone who is looking at things from different perspectives. And I don't feel like Sean Brown is someone who pigeonholes themselves as I am X, you know what I mean? Like I am a magic player. I am a magic content creator. I am a musician. I am a, designer now right so mm. it, there's 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 a lot to life and i think it's easy to just sort of generalize ourselves almost i agree 100 I, mean. I feel like as you go through life you just kind of pull the things that really resonate with you i'm big into like when i find something that resonates with me i really want to kind of pull that into who i am and those moments where you find something that resonates with you. I don't know. Like, I really like Godzilla as an example. Like I see, like, I, I remember I watched the second Godzilla movie, the recent American ones. And I like cried when he like got charged up and <laughs> roared, right? I like broke down into tears while I was watching it. I mean, like, what's, what's wrong with you, man? But you find those moments in your life. And I think it's really important to, to kind of find them, bring them into yourself. And I don't know, it kind of makes up who you are. And it's, it's this really diverse basket. And it's okay that it's this really diverse basket. You don't have to pigeonhole yourself into like one particular thing. So I 100% agree. And, and just so that we, this can still be a Humans of Magic episode. <laughs> I, I want to, I wanna, this is, by the way, this is the podcast of tangents. So it's like when we go into like a million tangents, that's when I know we're, we're in the sweet spot. We're but vibing. I do want to know... Mm. What is what, you're still playing magic? Like, cause okay, just to set it up a little bit, I guess I'll, I can record an intro as well. But mm. I first we first intersected because we both love the legacy format in magic. You were writing a quite a quite an excellent weekly series called This Week in Legacy, basically recapping the legacy metagame. You were um, a very nice guy, very welcoming, and we intersected, I guess, because of our travels and playing magic in different countries. So that's kind of like the the 30 second intro of what you did in the past, but I want to know like, what is your current relationship with magic? That's like magic. When I think about magic, all I think about is how I owe so much of my life to magic and how my perspective on life, the connections that I've made, it all, it all kind of stems from there, I feel. And um, I think in particular, James, like how to put it, when I was writing, um, for um, mtggoldfish.com, who's um, also shout outs to the column, still going, Joe Dyer, killing it, love it. Um, it's amazing that the name of This Week in Legacy uh, is still going and that kind of philosophy of the, the column is still there. I, I love it. Um, but I think when I was writing that, um, you also in parallel were like building Humans of Magic as well. And I think initially as well, it was strongly linked with the Legacy format since I know you were, um, especially your book as well, largely about the legacy format. And of course, it's a great format. <laughs> um, but probably similar to yourself, from that kind of kernel of how it was just a game and cards that you were playing, it developed into all these crazy intersecting, interlocking connections with people, whether it's across the internet, 
whether it's in communities that you're locally in. And um, I guess that's where magic still exists for me. It's that feeling of community and the feeling of, you know, I love the game. I love the cards. I have a lot of nostalgia for the cards. But to me, it's about, yeah, hitting that feeling of connecting with friends, connecting with community, getting some nostalgia out of it. And I guess also, it sounds kind of strange, but magic is like, I go there for the feeling of nostalgia, which I think nostalgia is just like, just free living being a kid is what I, I think it is. And then also trying to be an adult and trying to feel important, which is winning. <laughs> so that's why like the spike, the spike quality will still like come through for me whenever I play magic. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I kind of, it fits into my life at the moment. Um, within the Melbourne scene, I really am enjoying at the moment. Um, I still play a little bit of legacy. I still always have my painter deck sleeved up, but I couldn't bring it overseas because I'm just too worried about like losing yeah. for city of traders. It's like, it's a lot of money, a lot of it's value. Like I'm okay with when I went to Japan to bring it. Cause I don't feel like I'm going to get robbed, but still it's in my luggage and stuff like that. It's still, I don't know. Like it's, they've become very sticky now. Like I can't really take them anywhere um, with the price of legacy cards now. Um, but anyway, I still have Painter and I try to keep up to date. My deck was up to date, still play occasionally. And then in Melbourne, we really enjoy the Australian Highlander format. Uh, do you know about the Australian Highlander format, James? Is it just like Commander, but it's, I mean, Highlander is, there can only be one, right? So you can only mm. use one of every card, which is similar to Commander. But other than that, I don't really know. I've heard of Australian and Canadian Highlander and different variants. Yeah, so I think, and you'd probably know better than me about Canadian Highlander, but I think Canadian Highlander is like 100 cards and they yeah. have a points list, while Australian Highlander is 60 cards and it has a points list that is managed by the Australian Highlander like community. Um, but what I love about Australian Highlander, which I think, to be honest, in Legacy is lacking for me at the moment, just due to a lot of power creep of cards and a lot of like nimble mongoose, I can't really play it anymore because it's just power crept out. <laughs> For example, you should um, tell that to my MTGO opponent the other month. Like, <laughs> I I think I probably lost not because they had mongoose, but because they had three dazes on the play. But I, I <laughs> yeah. but anyway, um, but because of the singleton rule, you got to dig deep into the card pool. So often you end up, yeah, you play your Merc Tide, you play your Oko, and things like that. But then you dig deeper and you're ending up at like your nimble mongoose kind of thing. And um, I remember the first deck I built for it, which was only like a couple of years ago, was this like bug, lurus, nimble mongoose, traverse the oven wall kind of mishmash kind of thing. It was like modern death shadow mashed with lurus and mashed with like Canadian threshold, like dark threshold. Yeah. I was like, man, this hits the spot. <laughs> this is it, huh? Yeah. So um, I've been enjoying that. Uh, a couple of my friends are getting into pre-modern as well. So... Um, playing madness in that. How do they is... curate the the ban or the points list? Is it similar to that of a legacy format? Yeah, um, I'll I don't know. We can share the link or something at some stage. But basically, there's a committee uh, in Australia um, that kind of uh, I can't remember whether it's every quarter or so. They kind of look at the better game and the shape of the better game, and then like uh, put associated points with particular cards. So for example, cards like Ancestral Recall, as an example, you can only have seven points in your deck, but a card like A-Call might be like, let's say four or five points. So it takes up a huge portion of your points, while something else 
like let's say Ragavan as an example, might be like one to two points. So you kind of got to structure your deck around that. So it means you can't just like fill your deck with all the super powerful cards. You really have to make uh, kind of strategic decisions on how you want to angle your deck. So I find that pretty cool. Do people play things like zero point Australian Highlander or is it always like try to get seven? <laughs> I mean, it's always try like to get the popper of Australian Highlander. <laughs> Well, if it was like, uh, you mean like some people don't put the points in their deck at all? Yes. Uh, I think there's enough. You can kind of find enough points, I think. There's even cheap cards, like cheap, powerful cards, which are pointed. Let's take Soul Ring as an example, right? It's a cheap card, but it's still very powerful. And so you can still put it in your deck. Um, mm. So I think overall, not so much. There has been a recent... Uh, how to put it, if you don't have any reserve list cards in your deck to encourage people into the play, you get an extra eighth point, which is a very interesting kind of dynamic because, yeah. because the dual lands, the reserve list dual lands are so important in these singleton formats. But otherwise, you just have to rely, you, all you have to fetch out are shock lands and you just rely on all the wonky lands after that or basics. Um, but you'd be surprised how without the jewels, your mana base actually really, really, really struggles. So it's almost like impossible to play three colors. So it's a kind of interesting restriction um, that's been introduced, but overall, yeah, I find the format pretty fun. There's a pretty competitive community in Melbourne and across Australia, which is great. Um, and yeah, you get to play all the old cards and hit all the nostalgia feels and things like that. So for me, it's pretty, pretty enjoyable. That sounds pretty cool. I, mm. I need to uh, try that potentially sometime because I think 60 card formats are just better, personally speaking, for me. I just feel like there's tighter deck building. That's I guess it. with the ex exception of Yorian, but I mean, there's there's tighter deck building and it, it just feels more... I like magic when it's more deterministic. That's also the, the spike side of me yeah. coming out. Like, I... Yeah. I yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just not the biggest fan of Commander because it's it's more like a board game. Rather, it's it's a different thing with a similar engine than the same game. So, yeah, to each no, their no, own, right? No, I, to each their own. But I'm I'm very aligned with that, James. I feel like as weird as it is, Magic's gotten to a point in life where it's like I don't know. I can't call myself a casual because even if I'm playing casually with friends, I take it very seriously. Right. Like I will always, and I think it's that kind of philosophy that Magic's always put on me is that yes. your best opponent is yourself so every game you're trying to make the best plays you know plan out things as best as possible um because it's like feeds into your own self-improvement in some way is what i've convinced myself yes. so i can't take any game casually when it comes to magic but i think most games actually it's either i kind of take it competitively or i just like don't play it at all yeah is like no, my I, approach I, I, I totally get you it's about trying to do the best you can under most circumstances if not all circumstances right because it's not like we're playing for high stakes i mean mm. i'm still bemoaning the loss of legacy gps or gps in general but mm. when i'm going to play in some sort of modern um ptq or rcq or whatever it is called these days i played a couple last year i'm still trying my best like i may not have a lot of experience or reps in that format i may have just borrowed a deck from the very nice guy at the store but i'm still wanting to win right it still bothers mm. me if i lose more than i win it's just something that like i just can't ever get that out of me i just, yeah. I just can't and i don't want to so yeah you know what you know how like sometimes it doesn't bother me when i lose 
it bothers me when I How you kind play, of maybe. don't play well. Like when I don't, yes. when I like lose to myself or like 100%. I haven't made the optimal plays. Yeah. I feel like that's when I get most upset. It's more about that Didn't for I... me too, honestly. Yeah. It's like, but I think it's just so tough because you can always see some minor or sometimes not minor misplay. Because mm. like, it's very easy to ruminate or reflect on what you've done. I think magic is really a metaphor for life. Maybe this is a little bit of similarity that we, we share, even though we've never talked about it until now. It's mm. just, it's magic is learning about yourself. Magic is about self-improvement. And so that's the good and ugly part of the game, right? It's like, you can yeah. always find something to beat yourself for beat yourself up for, at least in my experience. No, I, I 100% agree. Like, I feel like magic teaches you to get that balance when it's like, this is my responsibility. I needed to do better. But then there's other times where you can say, listen, I did my best and I couldn't do anything about it. Like it just, they just had the nuts. They just had whatever. Like, I feel like there's a huge analogy in life where there's lots of situations that you go through in life where you have to make that same judgment call where you think, did I do my best? Or is it just, man, I got a bad beat and there's no reason to beat myself up or to complain or get angry or things like that. It's okay that things just went bad for me and I just got to take it and move forward. So yes. I feel like that's a huge analogy. And I feel like that's one of the things that magic has taught me that I just take through my entire <laughs> life all the time. So, yeah. And uh, sometimes I, as I have learned, when I play a tier three deck and I lose, then I have to blame myself because <laughs> that's a big part of the game. Yeah. This deck selection, I've stopped playing Nick Fit in in, uh, in Legacy. Shots fired to Nick Fit aficionados. So, um, but uh, I want to ask you, like, what? So, so you you're doing magic in your native country, or I guess one of your native countries, which is Australia, because mm. your deck's still there, isn't expensive. Mm. Are, are you still at all following Magic, even when you're not there? You, not, not yeah, 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 you... yeah, yeah. No, I'm always like talking about Magic with people that I play Magic with. Um, like, I feel like I'm not as like, uh, when I used to write as an example, or when I was just very into Legacy, I felt like my finger was on the pulse all the time. I knew like yeah. the latest, Nine latest random sideboard card that people were using in Japan. <laughs> I felt like I was like very on top of those things. Uh, but now maybe not so much. Now I'm kind of more just, I don't know, a bit more normal about it and just taking it as it comes. But I do really like, for example, I played modern with one of my friends online recently, played the a modern bug, sh uh, bug, bug shadow list that has like the battle for Ikoria card in it man oh, sounds yeah, like yeah, cool. sound like such a boomer but i'm I, I like literally played the card and i was like so what's what's this do now how many counters am i meant to put on it what oh hex match oh oh <laughs> makes so, a thing yeah that's that's the that's the thing where you the the what's it called what is the it, card type even called i'm so out of it's touch. a siege um, siege siege it's pretty good it's like very yeah. good and you just put one hex mage in your deck because you can always tutor for hex mage, and then yeah, so you tutor for hex mage, and then you make an eight eight, and then I like killed my opponent just with the eight eight. I was like, this is quite cool. Um, mm. So yeah, it's like a I don't know how to put it, like a zenith for any color. So yeah, yeah. it's it's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could say it's good, but yeah, that's that's the kind of level that I'm at. I'm still like engaging with the game. I think it's always going to be like a through line through my life, like until I die. I have a joke with um, Stephen Tang, one of our mutual friends that in Australia, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, Asian communities, like Vietnamese communities, Chinese communities, and they're always playing like Chinese chess 
or like playing cards in front of restaurants, um, like in front of like Vietnamese restaurants. I'm not sure. Maybe you have a similar, you've seen similar things in China, actually. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my joke with Stephen Tang is that when we're old, we're just going to be like playing magic. <laughs> 50 year olds in front of the noodle shop, just like playing magic. And um, oops, there's my underground sea, just kind of like flew off into the distance. Oh, well, I'm, I'm 60 years old. But, uh, I, think, I think by then we'll have to all use proxies or have <laughs> the, the cards like in steel cages because yeah. underground seas are probably like, I don't know how, how many grand by then. So They'll be in museums by then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that actually kind of reminds me of when I was still living in Beijing a few years ago. And I, I was just playing magic with my, like, we're just practicing. I think it was like, I want to say 2015, 2014, even back then. And we were just playing magic with real legacy decks, just non-proxy at a McDonald's. And we just suddenly looked at each other. And, you know, I think we all had that moment as legacy players. <laughs> like, we are playing with this much value of cardboard yeah. in some nondescript place. Not that you feel like you're going to get robbed, but it just feels so... It's just... It, I don't know. It's like there's, there's this kind of... It's kind of like you look at yourself like an out of body experience where you just realize like where you are and yeah. how ridiculous the situation is, you know? Yeah. When you when it's like, wow, I could this card can slip from my deck onto the floor. I could walk out of this Macca's and that's someone's car right there. Like this yeah. black like this black bordered underground sea, that's someone's car. Like a small car. Right. So um yeah, it is it is that yes. I've had very similar experiences to that as well with friends. <laughs> That's a lot of Big Macs in this one card. Like yeah. this might be the whole, this might be a, the entire or, set of orders for this uh, <laughs> yeah. restaurant. Today. Yeah, um, they, they can anywho. close up. <laughs> <laughs> anywho, um, so what what exactly are you doing now? Like you said, you're exploring a new career. So tell mm. me about that. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's a pretty long-winded story. I'll take it all the way from the start. No problem. Like, As Jay. I said, I like the tangents. So bring yeah, it Yeah, this is going to be the longest tangent so um it all starts when i was a young child <laughs> um so when i was a kid i really basically I, I i've been an only child my whole life and i think when you're an only child you really have to find ways to keep yourself occupied um find ways to really i don't know find your own companionship so other than just like playing game boy uh, i spent a lot of time like writing and drawing with two of my main hobbies when i was a kid um so i would draw a lot of weird dinosaur looking things and i would write a lot of stories that i'd never finished um so that's kind of the story of my childhood but i guess once you go into the education system it starts to get layered with a lot of other different things and i realize i don't know if it's the brag or not but i think a lot of kids end up like this i was relatively good academically i was pretty good at most things i would say um, and when you go through life and you get to the end of say high school, I remember, so in the Australian schooling system, um, I remember I had to drop, um, a subject at the final year of high school. Um, and the selection of these elective subjects that I could drop were out of three economics, chemistry, and visual communication and design. And. I remember at the time, I don't know how old was I, like 16 or something like that. I was sitting with my parents and they were just really not, I, I can't say they were like not on board with design, 
but I remember at that time, you know, at that moment in time, I don't think creative fields were really um, admired as a career path that people could go down. And I think especially my dad is a pretty traditional um, Australian guy and my mum comes from a bit of an Asian culture. So yeah, they came from a pretty traditional culture. And um, as a result, they're like, Sean, we don't, you know, we know you enjoy it, but we don't think this is the right career path for you to do design. What do you, like, I think the kind of feeling in their mind was like, what are you gonna do, make posters for the rest of your life or something like that? Um, so then I ended up doing economics and chemistry. I went to university and studied a uh, Bachelor of Commerce and then also mastered chemical engineering. So I did masters in chemical engineering. Wow. Okay. And then, uh, so I really, I feel like within, I think when you're young and you come out of high school, you don't really know what kind of your identity is. You don't really know what you're passionate about. You just kind of go with the flow, I think. And I think throughout those years, I went with the flow and I just kind of went through the, you know, went through the university system here in Australia, popped out, got a job at a uh, multinational kind of engineering related company, uh, Honeywell, which is pretty you know, big global yeah, company. Very, I mean, obviously a global powerhouse. Yeah. Global powerhouse, right? Um, and so I worked there for a while um, in sales, uh, kind of working on large infrastructure projects within Australia, which was pretty interesting. Like, to be honest, it was like a lot of good exposure um, to, I guess, I don't know, it, it sounds kind of dumb, but like the how the world works, <laughs> that makes sense. You see how did all these large projects and things like that kind of um, come together. Um, you kind of learn how to talk to people. You learn, you learn all those kind of, basic sure. corporate skills, I might say. Um, but I remember going through these kind of huge projects and they, they were pretty time tight. Um, uh, those huge deadlines, I remember working quite a few weekends and, you know, just, just struggling a bit. I think it was the nature of the job, but also I think it's cause I couldn't feel it resonating with me. And again, mm -hmm. it goes back to that feeling of resonance that I was mentioning before. I remember it was like 3 a.m. I was in front of a like Excel spreadsheet and I just kind of broke down a bit and was like, what, what, how did I get here? What, what am I doing, doing here? Yeah. Like, what, what, what am I doing here? Why, why am I, why am I doing this? And I think in those moments, that's when you kind of look back on your life. And then I was like, what would, would that kid who was drawing dinosaurs and like writing random stories, would he admire this person? at the moment, would he be like, that was the person that I wanted to be? And I realized that wasn't the case. So I think that really triggered it. And I think, well, I don't know, it might've been the next day I just uh, enrolled for a university course. I didn't really know what design entailed at that moment in time. Um, so just going back to like what I knew from high school, I was like, oh, graphic design, I guess that's design. So I enrolled in a diploma of graphic design and started doing that part-time while I worked, I changed jobs to um, a place that had a bit more flexible hours so I can continue this part-time study. And then I've been doing that, I still haven't even finished that diploma actually, James, but it's been like two and a half years since I've been doing it part-time the whole time. Um, but yeah, so recently I, I quit kind of completely out of that industry. And um, then it, we come full circle kind of to the near present 
where I was like, now's the time I've, I've quit, you know, I quit that whole industry, um, infrastructure projects and things like that. It's now really time to be, I'm going to be, you know, a product designer because after going through all of, you know, the diploma and things like that, I realize the most important thing to me is in, in my life is I want to utilize my creativity to make the world better. I think it's really that simple, my creativity, my problem solving to make the world better. And as long as I'm doing that, I feel like I can get through in life. I'll be very satisfied with what I'm doing in life. Um, so, but yeah, anyway, I was, I, I was like, I quit my job. I'm going to Japan for three months. I'm going to spend some time there with my partner and some friends. And also I'm going to knuckle down. I'm going to get this portfolio done. I'm going to come out. I'm going to be a freaking like product designer. I'm going to kill it. But I think I realized that when you kind of, I don't, you want to set goals and it's good to set like a high bar for goals, but I think it's important to realize that sometimes you can set them really high and you won't achieve them, but at least you got, I don't know, 60, 70% of the way there. And you're kind of moving towards that goal that you're looking for. So yeah, I was like in Japan after three months, just like staring at a Figma file, which said like portfolio on the top of it, like a blank, blank frame. And just like, oh my God, what am I doing? And then I went to a uh, meetup in Tokyo actually. And uh, it was for this place called Creative Tokyo. And I went there and the, the talk was about content design. And of course, content design, I guess, has evolved kind of into this particular job description um, over maybe the last, let's say, five, seven years or so. Um, but most people might know it very similar, kind of coming out of the UX field into UX writing, into their content design, because I guess you're not just writing micro copy, you're thinking a lot more about the overall design and research. And it, something else that had resonated with me for my whole life came back again. It was all this writing that I've done. It was all this expressing myself with like, yeah, magic. Like magic had been such a pivotal platform for me to be able to develop as a writer and to communicate something and hopefully make people feel something and understand something and really guide them and help them. And I think that's when, bang, everything just kind of came together. And at the moment, um, a friend of mine, a designer friend of mine actually, of a job just came up on LinkedIn about uh, working in content for an Australian um, health tech company. Um, I was in Japan. I took the interview from a convenience store, but I realized that if as long as I am kind of moving forward in some way and I'm kind of continually resonating with that goal of like using creativity to better myself, uh, to, to better the world and hopefully grow as an individual as well, then I will take up this opportunity. It's, there's no point just kind of like stalling out here, trying to shoot for some goal. It's better just to start doing the work now and start developing and start trying to make a difference in whatever way I can. And I realize I need that momentum in my life. There's no like just staring at blank Figma files and trying to make something out of it is not going to drive me to kind of get to the point where I want to be. I feel like when I'm in motion, I'm at my best. So 
that's why I'm working here in the Philippines as well. Like it was meant to be a bit of a holiday is what I originally planned, a good two months hanging out with family, but I'm really enjoying actually having momentum behind me working and then also enjoying time with family. That was very long. That's, I'm sorry, James. <laughs> no, that's great. That's beautiful. I think there's a saying, right? The progress is the point. Like this is something that I've really internalized, especially in the second half of my life. It's just when you're younger, you try to set goals and arbitrary or not. And they just, you're just working your way through there because the society or the world allows you to do that fairly easily. Like I'm going to get this job. I'm going to graduate from school with this degree. I'm going to graduate or I'm going to make X amount of dollars. I'm going to have a house. There, there are these tangible goals that society has just put in front of us. That's very easy to just uh, articulate in those terms. Mm -hmm. But what you realize later on is that if you don't want to be destroyed or devastated with every setback, you have to, you have to fully lean into the fact that the progress is the point that the journey is actually more important. So I think it's actually beautiful that you didn't get that initial degree that you were doing on the side, because that's not the point. The point is to just be in that moment because like mm. the alternative is to sleepwalk through life and just get all these diplomas and do nothing with it and, and be incapable of critical thinking or thinking about what you actually want, because I think that's great. I think it's, I think it's great that you, you had this kind of wake up call. And I think it's unfortunate that oftentimes it takes, maybe, maybe this word is too strong, but it takes like trauma or some sort of like really negative event no, no, for no. Us to actually, to, for us to actually figure it out. Like you have to work like consecutive crazy overtimes and like, you know, you have to be in a certain condition and it's unfortunate, but I'm glad like you, you, f you found it, right? So I, 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 know, like, I know you said a no, lot, but I'm, I was totally listening to that and totally relating <laughs> to it in that way. Yeah, no, like it's, I agree. And like, to be like, you look at it and you're like, oh, I regret that my parents told me this when I was a kid. Oh, I could blame no, them so much. No, it's not even about regret. regret it's just, you, chose it's, a, yeah, you, chose you, a, you chose a road and you, and, it, and you can always go back and take another road, right? Or another fork. Or the road just changes. Like the road just kind yeah. of forks off. And I think... Like nothing's, I, I think there's very few people and I might be generalizing here, who have this very clear cut, clean journey through their life. And as you said, maybe you might see that, but maybe they themselves are questioning, is this the right path for me? I feel like maybe me and yourself, perhaps, I really believe like you shouldn't like not turn over the rocks throughout your life. Mm -hmm. There's no, it's, it's a waste of a life if you're not turning over the, every single rock to discover what you could be as a person. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the realization that I had. And so that's kind of why I'm, I'm very happy to keep going through this kind of winding journey. And I'm very happy with, I guess, the skills that I've built up. And I feel like, like that kid back who was like writing and drawing stuff, he could look at me now, he could look at me in 20 years and he'd be like, I'm so glad I'm that person. I, I want to be that person. And I think that to me is yeah, really important. So yeah, I don't know. I hope our listeners kind of, yeah, maybe think about that. Um, I, cause hopefully they're reviving or they've, or they've totally <laughs> turned this off by now, which is totally fine. They're two crazy people. Who are these two crazy people? I thought this was meant to be about magic. What's, what's this about? <laughs>
Red well, I sucker them in every time with this human's magic um, front door, which is really a scam. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think I think you also come full circle on these things. Like even taking this podcast as an example, I, mm. I, I don't remember if I told you, but I had this existential crisis with humans and magic where it's like this hero. I was like, am I going to keep doing this? Because mm. I don't know how many more people in magic I I can talk to, which is kind of why I love talking to you now, because it's like, um, I, I don't exactly know where the show wants to go. Mm. And I, I think if I'm honest with myself, I do think I've gotten better as a podcaster interviewer. I know how to do this thing a little bit better, but I think it's kind of similar to a career, even though I'm doing this part-time, it's like you can do things well, or even at a high level and even be good at it, but that might not be your calling. Like, I thought about this recently because um, I have a full-time job and it's actually going really well. I've gone back into corporate after doing startups for the past couple of years. And some days are rough, but some days are like, hey, I'm pretty happy to be here. And um, I'm sort of blabbing now, but uh, I, I I also have this podcast, but I'm also kind of thinking like, do I keep doing it? Like, kind of like what you have with writing where initially, I actually find that, I enjoy writing more than I love podcasting. Mm. So I'm, I've also been thinking like, should I get back into writing? Because I've been sort of like doing the podcasting and now YouTube, because I thought this is a way, uh, A, I'm good at it, B, I enjoy it, right? And C, I think that these platforms allow me to scale to more people as opposed to writing a blog. But I've also been thinking recently, like, what about just doing stuff for myself, right? Mm. Like, it's not just about, this sort of like commoditization of content and like, you know, obviously if I do this interview with you, I would love that, you know, 5,000 people listen to as opposed to five, right? It's just Mm. the selfish part of me that's like, we're doing it, might as well. But I think there's also something to be said for like, just because something's going well or just because I'm good at it doesn't mean that I should keep doing it. So I'm also having this sort of, um, I don't wanna say crisis, but it's like just just the fork in the road that I'm thinking about, you know what I mean? I think like, I don't know, just a weird, just a thought, like, I guess the balance is always like, how much are your listeners, like, are your listeners getting a lot of value out of it? Are they really enjoying it? Like, what's the feedback? But then also, you got to balance that with like, am I, there's no point burning yourself out for the sake of someone else's, like, enjoyment or pleasure and things like that. It's great if you can have both where you're like, there's a perfect balance and you're doing something you enjoy and people are getting a huge amount of benefit of it out of it. Like, I feel like that's the perfect balance, but if anything of that is out of balance, then I guess it's time to reassess and think about it. Oh, for sure. And uh, maybe this is something you can relate to as a, as someone who's done content before. It's like, I really love the process of doing it. Like Mm. when I'm doing this with you right now, this is the best part of humans and magic is the live, recording experience and not knowing what I'm going to say, not knowing what you're going to say, <laughs> like and doing it live. That's the best. Right. And also the, uh, the getting the feedback from people, which is uh, unfortunate that is mostly positive has been awesome. Mm. Um, but what I don't love, and it's almost not even, it's almost like a position of privilege complaint. It's like when I get too obsessed over the numbers or like yeah, yeah, listening yeah. to it or it's it's the whole like machine behind it. This this goes back like, to like when we were talking about being a magic player, right? It's very hard to like not take it 
seriously. Anything that you do, it's either you give 0% or 100%. Um, and so maybe you're feeling that. It's like, can I keep giving my 100% to this? Right. And I don't know, maybe it's the same dilemma of like magic. I don't know. It's very hard to be I, like. I feel it is. I feel it's like a variation, right? Because yeah, you're yeah. not supposed to be results oriented when you do, when you do magic, when we do content, but mm. you can't help it because it is some sort of barometer, right? Let's say that I love playing magic and I'm spiky. Like if I, if I am plateauing at like a 20% win rate, that, that still bothers me. Right. Even if I felt like in that time span, I played my best or whatever, like, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's, it's very similar parallel. And I don't know, it's very hard to just be like, I'm going <laughs> to, this is going to make it lots of commander players angry, but it's like, I, I'm just going to quit and be a commander player and just like do it kind of <laughs> very casually. I feel like maybe you and me, it's very hard to do those kind of things. So exactly. it's, yeah. I, I totally understand the problem. Yeah. 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 Um, so how are you enjoying, um, getting back to you? Like, how are you enjoying the, the, this current gig and like being a content mm. designer and, and all I that. think like, what's the good, bad and ugly. Cause there's, there's not going to be a perfect role or job. Out there. No, no, no. Like I'm not even like formally a content designer, to be honest. I'm just like a content writer strategy kind of, I guess you realize when you start working, firstly, titles don't matter that much. Just do work and do it good and do your best mm -hmm. and learn as much as you can. And that's all that matters is, is what I think. Um, and try and of course, move forward with a particular career trajectory and like have a plan for that and give feedback and be like, Hey, I want to be moving towards this. Um, but overall I am enjoying. So the company that I work for, they are a health tech company, um, within Melbourne. They basically provide an education and uh, learning management system platform for nurses in Australia to be able to track all of their learning and also basically have a portfolio of all their learning so that they can prove that they have achieved particular hours that they need to achieve every year. But right. what, and this is probably the first time that I've had a job where I'm like, I can really tangibly see that I'm making a difference in the world. And for some kind of, I guess, like social good where I'm working for a technology company that creates a technology that is helping people become better healthcare providers which helps so many people in Australia live essentially like, like that's pretty amazing. Um, so I feel like that to me is very, very gratifying. I feel like any future roles, like I really enjoyed that feeling knowing that I work for a company with that kind of approach. And I feel like I'll take that moving forward into the world. I think as well, this is my first time really working within a tech company. So I feel like um, I have a lot of close friends who work in tech. So I feel like I've kind of osmosis a lot of information from them. I've also studied a lot of um, UX design, of course. So there's a lot of that that I'm aware of, but actually being deep in the weeds and working with all the different people and collaborating with a lot of different people, I'm finding it really gratifying to learn how to do that and also find where I sit within that kind of ecosystem. Um, of a technology company. And I feel like I personally have a lot to offer. I mean, we've talked a lot about writing. We've talked about like designing. I don't think I'm as good as a designer, designer in quotation marks, let's say like as a visual designer, as an example, I don't think I'm, I'm pretty half-baked visual, visual designer. Um, I'm not going to lie to myself. And I feel like it's something that I want to continually improve at. But I was listening to a podcast and they were saying, you know, sometimes 
when let's say like you live with your partner in a house and you're a team you're a team and each of you are good at different chores and some days you know they're gonna like i'm pretty bad at cooking my partner will do the cooking and she's great at cooking and i really appreciate that and sometimes the designer they'll help you with a great visual design and you'll like i'll like write the words for it i'm like damn that's excellent but sometimes that designer's not going to be there sometimes your partner's not going to be there sometimes you're going to just order takeaway and get the job done for the night mm-hmm. and i feel like my skills are there to be able to get shit done i guess Ooh, don't know if i can swear <laughs> but um oh, you can say anything you want you could yeah swearing <laughs> is absolutely fine it's not a kid's okay because like I guess like that's, um, as I said, my kind of mentality when I go into workplaces, um, I'm there to get shit done with the skills that I have available to me. Um, and yeah, just do my best. And so I think, yeah, particularly like, I think my superpower I've realized is words and I have like a pretty strong ability when it comes to visual design, but, but could also still improve uh, a fair bit compared to like, let's say other benchmarks within the industry, but that's okay. I just come as the person that I am with the skills that I have and do my best to make an impact. And I'm very happy to do that. So I think, I think you're a valuable asset to, um, whichever employer you choose to, um, hit your <laughs> wagon to, because, uh, just a bit about me. Like I've been, I've, I've worked in, I've worked in tech my whole career and yeah, I want to, I want to hear, I want to hear your story, James, like I, I've been, I've been in pro no, I mean, just, just the, the little part of it I wanted to share, because it should be mostly about you, uh, product management, right? So I've been, mm. I've been basically do, building software products, usually with an engineering team, with a, a business team stakeholder, and with UX designers. So I, I, I think having, working with designers, whether visual or content or UX or otherwise, who have a very strong self-drive, I think, or taking the initiative, uh, I think that's really important. I think, I think, um, to be someone who is a quote unquote self-starter in a, in a, in a situation, in a team, I think that's super valuable. And I, I think that might actually be something that you're taking in from your past background too, because I when, agree. You're doing, when you're in sales, when, when you're in that different, that previous world, you pick up a lot of things. And I think the best talent are the people that have multidisciplinary or, or they're able to stitch together the best parts of their their past to, to make something great. You know what I mean? I, I agree. Uh, again, like you're just pulling things from your past and using what works. And yeah, there was a moment like recently where it's like an echo of an old manager, like came back to me and was like, what would I do in that previous situation? I would just do this. I would just like get it. I would, I would yeah. approach it this way, or I would try and get it done by this particular point in time. I would plan it out this way. So it's, yeah, I agree. Like it's, it's all kind of a, conglomeration of that career pathway and nothing you don't discard anything i think that's the thing that i want to get across even if you're doing like a career change you don't discard anything it's all a part of you it's all valuable um like i I guess there's a lot of people like listening who are magic players as an example and damn i've gone to so many interviews and i have talked about magic it is ridiculous how many interviews (laughs) i have talked about magic the gathering it is, that, that's what I mean. Like I owe a lot to it. Not only talking about how I used to write, but how like, I think a lot of people are probably involved in like their community of magic, like organizing tournaments, like just working with people, um, things like that. Sure, like, a lot of social skills and intangibles mm, that come from being involved in magic, right? 
I think I was, I think uh, I might've mentioned before or something like that, or he had in the show notes or something that like even building a magic deck and like ideating a magic deck, honing it down to the 60 cards and then testing it and then refining it further. It's just the whole like design double diamond process. And I was like, wow, you just learned that by fiddling away on Moxfield. Um, so I hope a lot of listeners, uh, I don't want to sound like patronizing or something like that, but I hope a lot of listeners realize like magic gives you so much um, in terms of things that you can take forward in life, whether it's just life-wise, career-wise and things like that. So yeah, I know. that's yeah something as well. At the very least, if it wasn't for magic, we wouldn't be here recording and we wouldn't be like, I want to be talking to you who is, you know, a Filipino, uh, Australian guy who's over there. And it's just, uh, it just brings people together at the very least. Mm, right? So. That's right. Yeah. And particularly like, I guess like it's been very good over the past like 10 years of how network the community is uh, across the internet. But let's take, for example, the legacy community as well, James, like maybe I'm not super involved in legacy as much. I don't know how, have you been playing much legacy? I have been playing a little bit. So, mm. uh, if, if you know our mutual friend, uh, Julian Knob, right. Who, who yeah. has, uh, who has, who's very deep into legacy or has been at different times <laughs> of his life. Um, mm. but deeper than most all the time. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, a good way to put it deeper than most all the time. <laughs> uh, I just threw that out there, but uh, there was a time last year where I really didn't play much because of the the lockdown I mentioned mm. in China. I, there were no paper events, and I was feeling like I was spending too much time like doing like no stakes magic online grinding, and I kind of stepped away from that. Mm. And also last year, it wasn't from what I heard. I didn't actually play it that much at the time, but I heard it wasn't a very fun period. Although I would, yeah. I would dare say. I basically, I, I talked to Julian about it. Actually, we recorded an episode of Humans Magic together. And mm. in the live recording, we kind of worked out, or I kind of worked out that it's not magic, it's me. Like, I mm -hmm. was disillusioned with magic, and there were all these things that I was using to make excuses. Like, you know, um, you know, the format doesn't feel fun, or like, this card should be banned, and all that kind of stuff. But really, like, I had to make peace with myself that it was really me. It was not the game because magic is just a way for me to channel something about myself. So, I mean, honestly, last year I started playing a little bit of modern. I started playing a little bit of pioneer because I wanted to mix it up. And mm. I felt like if I didn't enjoy a format at a certain time, I can always do other formats. I did not yeah. want to be the person that played a format relentlessly and also didn't seem to like it. And, mm. and it's like, then what am I doing here? Right? So yeah. I, I kind of did. I had that phase last year. So I, I was stepped away from legacy for a little while. And then the short answer is like, I got back into legacy this year. I started playing paper events. Um, I started playing a little bit of magic online again, and I sort of figure out the right balance of not mm. being too deep into it. So it's still somewhat enjoyable, not getting so deep as to feel like I reached that really bad pinnacle of like, entitlement that i always get when i like mm. when i start feeling like i deserve to win because i had some somehow i have like good superior knowledge of the form yeah you're like i know it all yeah yeah, yeah 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 you know like being a know-it-all instead of a learn-it-all and it's just like that's just not a good place right and i and i and i think part of getting older is also knowing when who you are and just recognizing you got to set up these routines so that you don't 
become like a suboptimal version of yourself or regress. Mm, I want to, I want to hear about these, uh, routines. What do you mean by routines, James? I, I just mean like, don't put yourself in a situation. Uh, I, mm. I don't mean something crazy. Like, you know, like what's that, what's that book? Like atomic habits, James clear, mm. where he talks about like, you know, you need to put, you need to like put the mouse like here on the yeah. table so that you never be, you're never able to reach it. It's not something crazy like that. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just like, just, just don't get to a place where, where you just be just recognizing that you might not be in a good spot. Like if I'm playing too mm. much magic or reading too much about legacy, just know when to shut it down. Like when to go for a walk, mm. when to do a podcast instead, or when to do anything else instead. Like just don't just, just try to find the kind of, balance and moderation in your own life that yep. you're not too obsessive over one thing. That's, that's what I meant. Yeah, no, no, no. Like I, I was curious. I, I agree. I actually kind of put into place mechanisms when I get there in my life. I think probably the biggest mechanism that I have for that, that I've really started to go deeper on is journaling. So in particular, I used to journal all the time, but sometimes you just scatter some thoughts on the page and be like, haha, I've done with my journaling kind of thing. Oh, dude, I, I've been journaling for, I, I want to say at least six or seven years. Like I still have yeah. my, um, my previous journals. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Dated and I can go back and read like, what was I thinking about that time? Like, why was I so smart? Why was I so stupid? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I like at, at my house back in Australia, there was just like all these like crumpled up, old journals just like stacked up like what do i do with these now um but i started to really like formalize this like journaling approach so that when you get so deep and bogged in something i always think about what energized you today what drained you today what did you learn about yourself today and what are the 10 things you can be grateful about today and then it kind of unplugs you from whatever you're obsessing about whether you're like angry about something whether you're like very deep in whether it's magic or other games or whatever it may be i feel like just taking that time to reflect is like super important as you start to yeah. get through life so i don't know that's my mechanism that's when you said routine i was like oh <laughs> no <laughs> no i i totally i totally i totally love that i've been doing that i just want to say though that you know how i've been saying like my life is kind of like cycles i go in and out of things mm. i've after like religiously journaling for a while this year I actually started to journal way less. I went from writing mm. like a page a day, two pages a day to writing like a page a week. I, yeah. I, and, and the reason for that is because I think it's because of like some stuff I was going through at work recently and I just got so busy that I initially it was like, got so busy that I didn't have time to write about things. And I just wanted to, and that sounds like a crazy, like a stupid cop-out excuse, right? Like I'm so, busy no, 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 but <laughs> No, that's, 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 that, uh, I, I just mean that in a, that was like my, my level one reaction. Yeah. And okay. What I, what I, what I kind of realized when I thought about it more is that there is a kind of, let's put it this way. You should always try to do things at a, like not 10,000 hours, but you should always try to do things fundamentally before you figure out if you want to keep doing them or mm. draw uh, an early conclusion. Cause I, there's people that are, that'll just be like, I shouldn't, I don't think you should do this, or I don't think I should do this. And they haven't actually tried it. And I think that's actually, that's actually not right. I actually, I actually objectively think you need to try things for a while to know if you're going to like it. 
I'm not saying you have to try every kind of like illegal substance out there, but <laughs> like if journaling, you should try it right before you knock it. Or if, if you never use an Android phone, like pick up an Android phone instead of an iPhone and try it. Right. So like there's, there's value in trying it, but then after you try it, then you can figure out, should I deviate from the script? Right. So this year, what I realized is that as I got my 10,000 hours of journaling in, sometimes I had a tendency to overthink on my reflection process as opposed mm. to actually taking action because mm. like I would be like ruminating on something that I, that happened last week. But really if I want to make progress, especially in my role, cause like my job is kind of like waking me up to it. It's like, it, I don't need to write about all these things cause I just need to live it. I need to figure out what's my next step. What do I need to do literally now? It's more about mm. like, what do I do now? But not rather than question, why did this happen? Oh, why do I feel this way? How did I feel this way? It's more about if I have to choose, I don't have limited time, finite time. I'd rather just focus on what the heck am I, do I need, what, what do I do now? Yeah. Right. So I, I sort of distilled it down to that, but that, but that comes about through trial and error. Obviously your mileage may vary. Someone else's mileage may vary. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So. No, but I think like, as you said, like you try things and then you can kind of sculpt it to how you want it to fit into your life. And I think when you met, talked about magic and legacy, like last year, uh, as an example, like you tried it, you felt a particular way about it, but you found alternatives to be able to keep magic still within your life, because that's something that's important to you. And yeah, like, I feel like that's really important. Try it and then make it your own, I think is something that I like to live by. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And I also wanted to ask, like, cause you were quite a prolific or am a prolific musician, right? So mm. you had been also performing music you were in a band or are in a band yeah um, yeah yeah what's the deal with that like how did you how did that get started how did you initially even start playing instruments and all that jazz okay so that's um that's a good question so i remember in high school i first picked up a bass guitar so the bass guitar was my first instrument but i remember like firstly i have never been like classically trained in music or anything like that. I was one of these like kids at 15, like kind of punk style, picked up a bass and was like, I'm gonna learn music through this. And I started trying to learn some songs, like I don't know, some Ramon songs or whatever to start with. But I realized, man, I don't really like learning songs. I immediately started just making songs with the rudimentary skills that I had to like make some random three chord song and kind of build it up mm. from there. So I think that kind of, it was looking back on it. It's really kind of how I've approached a lot of my life. Like I really value. Well, I mean, it's just a vessel for being creative. If I, if yeah, I yeah. 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 No, like, no, no, just, right. like most people, they're just like learning the songs, but you're like going right into like, how do I make it my own? Right. That's right. Exactly. So I, I found it immediately that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so then throughout university, I, I wrote a lot of songs with one of my close friends. Um, and we were just hanging out. We just like, go to his house and hang out on the couch. And like, we found it so amazing how quickly we could write songs, but it's because we really had a beginner's mindset when it came to music, we didn't worry about perfection. We just worried about, oh, let's like try this chord progression. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna write some lyrics like right now in the next five minutes. And we'd write it down and we'd try it. And over time, naturally the song would kind of morph. It would just iterate kind of naturally. Um, it's like, oh, that word didn't sound that good. Let's change it to this word. Um, so that happened naturally over time. Um, we'd been in university for a while. And then after that, um, one of our really close friends who played magic 
with me. Um, I used to play a long time ago, modern with him. Um, and then we drafted for a while and we got a little bit into legacy, but just, you know, how you have a circle of friends and some of them, you just randomly, it just happens that you met them through magic, but really it's kind of no longer important that you met them through magic. They're just one of yeah. his close friends. Um, he was just quietly in his own time, a piano prodigy and a music producer, like able to produce music really well. And the three of us linked up and we started making songs and it kind of just happened from there. Um, so we released an EP, I think on Spotify, uh, a year or so ago, unfortunately I'm on this kind of trip overseas, um, uh, music producer slash lead guitarist. He's off in New York, uh, pursuing his dreams. Um, so he's a, yeah, like a very senior software engineer. Um, so he's out in New York kind of pursuing his dreams to, you know, work, maybe find a way to start his own business and things like that. Um, so it leaves, um, one of the other. Uh, thirds of the Trinity are still in Australia and still loving music. So I think, um, again, music's going to be something that's always there for me. I love it being there as like a creative outlet. I love just picking up throughout my life. Everything kind of becomes a creative outlet in some way. Uh, but at the moment, the band voicemail is on hiatus. So sorry, listeners, if you're keen to <laughs> see some new new songs. But um, yeah, they're on Spotify. If you want to go have a look at us, it's voice with a space in the middle, mail. And you can see three, uh, two and a half uh, Asian guys on the yeah. the photo. That would be us. Well, hiatus means that there's always a chance in the future, right? When things yeah, happen. yeah, yeah. And I'm sure like myself, um, I mean, since I've been overseas at the moment, I don't have my gear with me. Uh, but even personally, I've been making, I always have been making a lot of music uh, myself. And I think it's about time for it to just like stop being in the lab and start cooking it and just start like getting it out there. So um, there's a backlog of songs that I've got to like put on Bandcamp. So I don't know. I'll let you know when those are out. They'll be, they're kind of like right a on. bit of a cool, weird, shoegazy kind of the, vibe. The Sean Brown, um, I don't know, bootleg. No, it's not bootleg because it's from <laughs> you directly, but the, the, the sessions. The yeah, sessions. something like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so nah, love music. Love my, uh, love my jazz master that I like kind of custom built myself. And uh, love my are bass. there are there are, are there is there like new music out there that you're particularly into right now or that's yeah no um to, weird weird good question um being in the Philippines again I've never asked this question ever on an episode of Humans <laughs> and Magic but I love it that's so. okay all right now being in the Philippines I've been like man what's Filipino music like is one thing that's really been like I've been questioning and man there's a lot of cool stuff in the Philippines um, I also came from went to Thailand recently as well and one of a trip as well. There's lots, there's lots of very interesting music within Southeast Asia that I think is like bubbling up now. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly in the Philippines, I didn't know this was a thing, but there's a big amount of shoegazers in the Philippines, which is a genre right that I really, really, really like. Right um, yeah. But I have no idea why, but maybe it's because like shoegazy sound sounds very hot and humid. <laughs> That's just a weird <laughs> guess. Be. That's just a weird guess. Um, but yeah, yeah, so there's a, a lot of those kind of bands that I've been listening to. And there's a lot of cool, like, yeah, indie pop kind of sounds um, coming from this region as well. So I'm really into, uh, what's their name? Wongoys is like a pretty cool band that's out I've there. Heard of them. Yeah. So there's lots of, there's, I don't know, there's just, that's kind of what I've been delving into. I think it goes again back into like delving into my identity and things like that and just finding places where like, I wonder what that's like. I've never really investigated that. So, um, yeah, 
that's where I'm at with music. No, that that that's great because I'm a lot older than you, and I still remember a time when you know we had to go to the radio for music. Of course, <laughs> that's like that makes me older than anybody who's ever listened to this podcast. But <laughs> I, I I just feel like what I'm trying to say is that I just feel like music is so nicely distributed now because of Spotify mm. and SoundCloud on these platforms. Like you can be, it's so global. Like there's good and bad of that, but like for example, I I sometimes I'm just listening to like k-pop that i don't even understand i'm just listening to it right or I'm, I'm i'm watching some sort of anime because someone told me about it and i can go go on a crunchy roll and and just watch, watch it, it. Mm. and the flip side mm. of the the whole global music thing is also that music has become it's become borderless but as a result but it's also become sort of more homogeneous yeah like it's also this, become like kind of... I, we take music for granted so much now like I remember. Yes, it's, I, it's, I, like, it's like yeah, it's like it's like now it's just a tap that you turn on and, and that's it comes out. I think know? of Spotify. There used to be like I, could, I had to go to Virgin Records and like listen to go to a listening booth, like listen to this new record or LP, and that's just no longer the case. Yeah, I think it really does vary um, on culture, though. Like for example, in Japan, they're still very into like physical CDs and go to Tower Records yeah. and get that kind yeah. of experience. And it's still kind of blooming in a particular way. But I think that's maybe due to the culture. They enjoy kind of, uh, how to put it, Yeah, they have arcades still. In a they like tactile. They yeah. like real things, which is nice. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, but then, of course, maybe it can, eh, nice at times, but can shunt off progress at times, is what I might say. While maybe in the West, we're very pro-progress. And that can lead to things being very quickly um, commoditized. Or as you said, it's like turning on a tap. Um, but at the same time for, let's say, for example, my band, you could very easily find a way to get yourself on Spotify and then quickly, very easily find a way to get yourself on TikTok and very quickly find a way to become a huge success. So I don't know. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest. I also kind of glorify in my mind that experience of like, wow, remember when albums were a thing and you really like listen to an album the whole way through wasn't that a glorious era but a lot of people that's kind of lost on now because yeah you just kind of pick a playlist and off you go but i don't know it's it's go ahead how do you feel about the mystique factor though like because i i remember a time when these this new music came out and i didn't exactly know what it was like i had to go hunt for i had to watch mtv until um the music video came on so i would Mm. know what the band looked like right but now it's in Spotify. It's like, okay, you see them. Okay, I can go to their profile. I can go to their Instagram and go to their their YouTube. Right? I can just find out. I can watch all their videos, and you could you could find all their interviews. Like, so there's a kind of like, how do you feel the mystique part? Like, is there a discovery process? Almost like magic too. You used to have that, you know, with decklists and things like that, or sets. Right? How do you feel about just the mystique aspect of music? Is that important, or or is I, it just? I think um, it's just me. No, 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 no. Like, I think if you want to keep that mystique as personally, like if you want to go and buy that physical LP and hold off, like you can still make that decision to do that yourself personally to keep the mystique if you, if that's valuable to you. Um, and I think people are within this age of just information is you get information immediately everywhere. People are changing the way that you create this mistake with various types of content and things like That's that. That's true. It's so true. I think it, it's just shifted. Um, I don't know, but then I remember I was seeing something about why are songs like, let's say around 
five minutes as an example, but it was due to the, the um, size of the record, the single, uh, yeah. a single would be a particular size and therefore that restricted songs to be a particular um, length. And then I guess sometimes for me, I feel the worry of like, well, is TikTok as an example, continually going, because that's such a important gap of time for people's promotion of music, is that just going to shrink songs length? And we just, mm -hmm. all we're trying to hear is almost like a jingle version of songs, if that makes sense. Yep. We're just trying to grab hooks it does. rather than grab a comprehensive journey, which mm -hmm. I think to me, I find very valuable. Um, so I feel like that's kind of changing. I feel like, yeah, I see like a lot of younger relatives and how they engage with music changing where it is becoming more of this year, kind of jingles and like commoditized version. So I don't know. I feel like as long, if you really do enjoy music though, I feel like there is still avenues for you to enjoy it, whichever way you want to though. Um, Absolutely. if you put your mind to it. And I think that. To be honest, I feel like that's the case with any way you consume content. So let's take, for example, um, YouTube, right? You can just be fed whatever you want continuously on YouTube. You can just click through videos and just be fed whatever and just be like at the mercy of the algorithm. Or, I mean, I'm ridiculous and I just make a million personal playlists and like categorize all the videos that I want to watch and then my algorithm kind of cleans itself up and I look at it and like, wow, it's presenting me exactly what I want, but you can curate the experience that you want yes. out of whatever you're trying to consume, but mm. that's up to you. Like if you're not doing that, well, that's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of on you if you're just consuming it in this kind totally. of like haphazard way. So I don't know. That's just my kind of philosophy. I, I like that because Honestly, for me, content is a big part of my life. I mean, mm. not just creating it, but consuming it, right? Like I'll just watch YouTube or Netflix when I'm eating or something like yeah. that. And I think, I think curating your content is really like curating your life. Yeah. It really is because it's such a big part of your, your life's diet, right? So yeah. you have to be intentional with that stuff. And, yeah. and it, I think it goes into the whole like, not to make this the central theme of the podcast, but this kind of like accountability responsibility thing where mm. it's like, rather than feeling like you're always pulled in directions by forces outside of your control, you can take control into your life and create a kind of like a framework for exactly. how to live it properly. And yeah. it's not, it's not by being like a, woe is me, you know, the algorithm mm. hashtag algorithm, but it's more about like trying to figure out how you can be more intentional with everything. I think that's, yeah. And I think like, even you mentioned like how to live it properly. I kind of caveat that by saying like living it, how you want to live it rather than properly, maybe properly to yeah, you. There's no proper, right? Yeah, there's no proper, not yours. but there's no proper, but it's like, if you have an idea or like an, un you, you have some form of understanding of how you want to live your life, you can, there is a way to go in that direction. And even the smallest way of like what you consume on YouTube there is a way to go forward with that. So, um, yeah, no, like as an example, this is an example of like something randomly tangent. I really wanted to like learn a lot about design. What do I do? I very consciously consume content about design and like curate it. I want to learn this particular skill. This goes in this particular playlist and I'm like watching that and it kind of mm -hmm. then builds its own kind of cascade. Um, but it starts with that intentionality. So. Yeah.
That's great. You can learn everything on YouTube these days. I <laughs> thumbnails. I learned how to do podcasting stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, no. it's, and yeah, as long as yeah. you stay out of the whole meta of like YouTube, watch YouTube content and how to YouTube. Don't do it too much. <laughs> it, it, it would just screw up your mind. Like it's just, it just, you just, you just like in this kind of inception scenario. You don't want to get in there. I've been, there uh, it's, it's I've been receiving fun. like um, ads, like marketing ads on how to do marketing a lot recently. Yeah. And I'm like, man, this is, this is too like, deep. How to get stuff. rich. Step one. How do you get rich? Step one, write a book on how to get rich. That's how you do it. Um, yeah. But um, I also want to ask you about the, um, because I think for a while, I don't know if you still are, are you still doing like your daily design? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. I, so on my, um, let's, let's, let's jump into that kind of conversation. So um, on my Instagram, I like post up bits and blobs of like what I do, random sketches, random things that I come up with, um, whether it's like actual projects I'm doing or just like random stuff that comes to mind. Um, but also every day, um, I think from a very, uh, not a very long time ago, it feels like a long time ago, maybe from like a year ago, I, uh, have been using mid journey since I guess around its inception. Um, and just playing with that for a very, very long time. And then I decided, what if I just posted one image every single day so that I'm like learning how to use this skill and exhibit how Cause it's kind of amazing how you can just get an idea and shoot it into the world. And it may not be perfect. It may feel like a bit like AI, if that makes sense, but seeing how the technology grows and grows and grows. And I think it's been like 200 and something days or so that I've done at the moment is very, very interesting. And I hope people who do it find it very, very interesting that it's like, Oh, so that's what I can do now. Oh crap. Now that's what I can do now. And it just kind of keeps going. Um, so yes, that's my daily um, AI series that I've been doing for quite a bit of time. What are your thoughts about ChatGPT or MidJourney or like these things that are capable of doing so much? And I think we're just scratching the surface of what it can do. Do you have any thoughts as to what this means for people in our professions? I guess we'll, we can call ourselves knowledge workers, whether mm. it's uh, designers or product managers or writers is it all doom and gloom like people seem to say it is or do you have a different perspective on it uh i have a very um i imagine both of us have some very nuanced perspectives on it i'm curious to ask yourself for example james like how how do you utilize um ai tools whether it's in the workplace whether it's just like for humans of magic as an example how are those things integrating into your life at the moment is what I'm curious about. And let's kind of like build the conversation with that. Yeah. So I don't use it that much for work. I would say engineers that I'm working with kind of dabble with um, yeah. ChatGPT to write their code or like to do little experiments. And I talk to them once in a while about their experiences because I'm very passionate about learning from other people's experiences. And I, I really want to know, like, what are they seeing? And, and, and so I enjoy like things on that level. First of all, just, just seeing people in tech, just use it, use the technology and kind of dabble with it. And just, because really I see it, this whole thing is like, it's almost like remixing in music. It's like, you're, you're mm. teaching something, you're making it different. There isn't this kind of clear delineation of like where the human starts and where the machine ends or the machine starts. So I think that's, I think it's marvelous. Um, for my own personal projects like this one, like Humans of Magic, 
I actually don't use it that much. Like I kind of dabble with using AI or technologies to generate thumbnails for YouTube. I've dabbled with like, you know, writing copy this way. But if I'm being honest, I've sort of intentionally chose to stay in the cave after trying mm. some of these things. Interesting. Because I, I feel like there's a little bit of my individuality that's kind of lost when I do it. So I, mm. I think it's, for me, it's almost like a reference. It's like, okay, if I want to do a thumbnail, let me try to do it myself. And then let me see what the, um, the machine created one looks like. The and machine benchmark. Yeah. yeah, benchmark. And then kind of like still kind of end up doing my own mm. or, or same with writing copy. I've tried doing like some writing, like ask GPT to write something and it's fine, but it's ultimately not my voice and I know it. So there's still that kind of, did painters get obsoleted when they invented the camera? They probably said that now that we have a, a camera, you can like, you can click and you can capture anything in the world. Like, why do we need painters? Why do we need these things? And I still think we'll always need human expression and creativity and individuality. And so there's never going to be a risk of us going away. We might be de-emphasized. Like I might not be able to make as good a living as I am in the future if if I was a, a writer or something like that. But just because something isn't commercially profitable or viable also doesn't mean that it's invalid. With these tools, you still at this stage, but probably into the foreseeable future, human intention and human creativity is still going to be one of the most important things. And I feel like as well when and as you said james you probably put said go write something and it wrote something that's very generic and it, you don't feel anything from it and i one of my like someone who i follow on linkedin as an example they they started like this article series and it was like and i was like man this guy's churning out content this is amazing wow what's what's this content and then i read it and it's like your sixth sense goes off where you're like this is just chat GPT blobs that have been mm -hmm. pasted in. And I feel like that, I don't know how to put it, that uncanny valley of content is going to be very easy for me and you to recognize. And that's where, how to put it, human creativity will be important, but also human creativity, not alone, but boosted with the capabilities of AI will also be very, very important. And I think the ability for AI to make you more creative is very powerful. Like I, for me, feel that I, with a career pivot, I don't have, you know, five years of design school behind me, like a lot of other designers, but I feel like with these neutrals, I've been able to bridge the gap somewhat. And there's mm -hmm. still going to be that uncanny valley. There's still going to be where it's like, I'm kind of faking it till I'm making it, mm -hmm. but that's better than just not being, having anything at all being able to like mm -hmm. not create anything at all. Otherwise it'd just be like zero. I wouldn't have a reference point. You'd just be shooting in the dark for your right. thumbnail as an example. So I feel like things like that, they really, I guess, unlock so many people to be able to be creative that weren't able to be in the past. They wouldn't see it as a possibility. And as someone who kind of in the past threw away the possibility of create being creative and now came back to it, I, um, so excited for all the people that'll be like, wow, I can just do this now. I can just like make some cool images. Wow, I, I'm 
I'm creative now. But in the right. past, they might be like, my destiny is to be, I don't know, an engineer or a scientist or something like that. Then who would have thought, thought about it? Um, so I feel like that's really great. The ability for AI to build people's creativity and be like a launching pad for them. But I feel like we'll still need the human to still express some form of intention, whether it be some creative outcome, whether it be some business outcome, like any outcome, it still needs a human to set that goal. Yeah. And I think that's always going to be important. And when it's not important, then I don't know, maybe that's like Terminator time. But mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to be, I would say that's always going to be important, human intention, because that's what these machines mm -hmm. are made for, right? To help our human intentions and goals. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my first point. Um, did, did you want to add anything to that, James? The one thing I'll add, which is, which is great, by the way, this first point, I think you're also calling out something, or at least I'm feeling that it also requires us to be more proficient than ever at every discipline, because like, yes. how do you and I recognize bad writing? Because we're actually decent writers. So it's like, you can only recognize bad writing if you're not a bad writer. Mm. And there's still always going to be that sort of cream rises to the top where Maybe it is a future where every writer has assisted writing, but you still have to be like the, the top 1% will still get to the top 1%. You're always going to need some expertise. It's just that expertise is sort of shifted because the other point you made, which is great, which is like, you know, you're catching up as a designer while well, it levels the playing field. And maybe that's actually a, a good thing because, oh, you know, I, I've been a designer for five years. I deserve. Yeah. Like, a better skill level than you, but no, right? Because maybe there's certain things that are just like brute force problems or like grunt problems that the AI could just help you get past or yeah. level the playing field on. And that's actually pretty good, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. Like that's, to be honest though, I think like uh, you mentioned like yeah, designer, whether it's someone doing coding and things like that. But I think that, remember James, when we used to put like, in your resume, I can do Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel. That used to yep. be like in your resume. I think now it's going to be like, I don't know, like almost, I remember people saying, oh, there's going to be a new job. It's a prompt engineer and things like that. But I think what actually is that just merges with a lot of people's workflows. And I think we see that with the suite of tools coming up from both Microsoft, Google, and things like that. They're going to be so integrated in all of our work that you can't avoid them. You'll end up using them to speed up your productivity. And it's it's just gonna be there, like how Microsoft Word's there as an example. Yeah. And those tools, so I feel, yeah, as you said, it levels the playing field um, for everyone and makes everyone more productive. And uh, you mentioned writing, and I know a lot of people are like, wow, being a writer must be crap. You're gonna be out of the job soon. You're just gonna, stuff's like gonna be spat out of chat GPT and you're like game over. But I definitely do not think that is the case because I don't know, like writing is like very much, not much writing and a lot of editing and a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. a I lot of that. like, I don't know how to put it, like getting the content right. So it has the right message and is really hitting, I guess the heart of the reader is what I like to think about. Yeah. And I feel like that's a machine can assist you with that to give you ideas on how to do that. And honestly, this is how I would use chat GPT a lot of the time mm -hmm. is to build almost like a huge wide spectrum of ideas that I can pull from like a palette um, right. that 
I may have had some latent in my brain or I may not have. And that's kind of presenting this new idea to me that I can like bring in. And mm -hmm. I think that's, I don't know, that's to me is kind of like how writing will evolve. It will become way more higher quality and more dedicated to the reader, which is just a net positive for everyone. It just means that very rudimentary writing tasks, anyone who's just doing like very, I guess, like kind of mundane -y kind of copy, mm -hmm. um, that may get removed. But those people can now be elevated to work on things which are a lot more human-centered, which I think is just a net plus overall. Yeah. I feel like also just on the writing thing, there are some parallels between writing and creating music. When you are a writer, you have a more appreciation of who your audience is. And I think audiences for writing are not just like people that are looking to get information, but there's also people that look to read for pleasure. Yes. Like there's there's well, pleasure in reading something that's structured a certain way, reading something by like a Hemingway or like a famous author or a poet, the same way that why is there so much music out there? But why do I love it? Because there's pleasure in like consuming something that I know comes from some sort of human or some sort mm. of creative force, right? This is why I think also, I don't think music that's wholly generated by AI, maybe AI assisted, but wholly generated by AI, I would never get into that because there's a layer of artifice that if I just know anything about it, whether it's writing or music, it's the uncanny value. Like I just mm. don't want to be there. If I'm, if I'm in there for the purpose of pleasure, I just can't, I can't connect with that. I think yeah. like when it comes to, yeah, let's take things like music, art as an example. I feel like if those things, like something AI generate, let's take, for example, I made a drum loop with um, an AI tool, but then I took that drum loop and then I put my wonky shoegaze guitars on it, or I did some yeah. kind of things, then it starts to be something that has helped me, but it still creates that human connection. And I think the main thing, why does it have a human connection? Is because you can see that someone enjoyed making this and yeah. enjoy sending that message out to you. And I think the same comes from like, um, let's take art as an example, whether it's, if it's AI generated and it's just wholly AI generated and shot out there, then maybe it doesn't really resonate with people because you can't see the labor that has gone into it, the labor of love that has gone into it. And I think that's what we as humans resonate the most with when it comes mm -hmm. to like art or music or things like that. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to very functional things like design, as an example, the line gets a bit blurred, especially design is something which is kind of a bit of art, but also a bit of like pure function. So there kind of maybe is moments where it's just like, I just need to get this, diagram that I AI generated, I'm just going to present this because this is fulfilling the goal of what my business needs right now. And I guess that's why I delineate between design and art in that respect. But yeah, I agree. Like, I think it's that human, I don't know, I think there's always going to be people making music and people painting stuff and people, I don't know, people knitting and sewing and just doing anything that you want because we as humans take pleasure in that. Just that pure, like rudimentary, we're crapper than like, we, we might be crapper than like robots at it. Mm -hmm. Let's say laborious tasks, like crafting something as an example, like making a chair as an example. Why do people still hand make chairs? Because there's a pleasure in creating that handmade chair, even though maybe a factory could have made it better. And you'll maybe pay a premium for the knowledge that someone made that chair. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's always 
going to exist in human society. I don't think you can exterminate that because it's something almost like essential to us as humans to want to connect with another human yeah. through whatever they create. So well, as uh, we're talking about hmm. it, I'm, I'm also fearful that eventually I think these things will get so good that they could imprint like artificial genuine things into, into the thing so that, you know, it, it's rough around the edges so that the song feels like it was curated by a human whereas it isn't and and that kind of thing that's when it gets really crazy is when they solve the uncanny valley problem i think though like even if the uncanny valley is solved and you saw as a tag like maybe there's some clause where it says by the way this was generated by ai you will just not listen to it anyway like i think it's just even if it sounds the same you won't mm -hmm. listen to it because you know that someone hasn't put that labor of love into it um mm -hmm. or maybe like i guess as humans we're really obsessed not maybe I'm obsessed, but with stories and with understanding like how something came to be and that's yeah. what gravitates it to us. So to be honest, if someone made an AI generated song or AI generated piece of art, but there was a story behind it of how they worked to build, to bring all that together or to curate it in some way. And I do believe like a lot of people rather than just creating things like putting pen to paper and doing stuff, rather than just creating things, a lot of people are going to become really good curators of yes. AI generated things. But I, there's still, to me at least, there's still enough human touch there that I can resonate with it. But maybe right. for some other people, it might not be the case. It's like, that's, yeah. that's out of it for me, but that's okay. It'll exist in its own category and it will be there for the people who want it to be there. And for all the other things, those will still exist as well. Like just pure painting and things like that. Mm. So um, I know that's, that's my kind of, yeah, stance. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to stop interrupting you. I got to let you move on to your second point. No, 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 I like it. no, I really enjoy these. I, I like this kind of riffing off each other. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about though, like this sounds all great and glorious and things like that, but I think there's a lot of issues and challenges around legislation that will be, that is just, I don't know. The, the can of worms is open at the moment. Like, I think because I've been, I kind of started within the image generation space and kind of looking at that, that has been the wild west for even up till now, where it just pulls everything from like as much as the data set has from the internet and converts it into images. And I guess the problem with this is firstly, the copyright of these images, like where is it taking these images from? Um, like the mechanism behind how it's stitched together, is that actually like a copyright breach that's to me, a very important conversation to have. And secondly, there's a huge amount of inherent bias. If you take everything from the internet, you're just going to get a ton of porn to start with. <laughs> right. And imagine That's a model speaking. Imagine if a model is just fully biased on porn, like it's, mm -hmm. it's totally, it's going to just create very messed up images that are then going to be sent out into the world in mass and almost like pollute the minds of everyone. And to me, that is something that is going to be very, very important moving forward. Um, and I think there's, I don't know, there's interesting work being done. I guess let's take, for example, Adobe. Um, they recently announced their like generative AI in Photoshop as an example, where you just like, whoa, change the background all of a sudden. And their data set is fully based on like uh, Adobe stock, which is like um, uh, submitted to Adobe. So it's kind of pulling from a data set, which is very, I guess it feels in some ways like safe, I guess, um, when it comes to copyright and bias, maybe not bias actually. 
because um, I guess if you look on Adobe stock, all the doctors will be like male, white-haired, old men kind sure. of thing. There's still there's still some bias in who curates those, yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously there's problems with that. Um, and of course, all the other things, stable diffusion, mid-journey and things like that. Those are still, of course, the Wild West. And uh, let's take, for example, mid-journey. That's a very curated model. So it's been curated to be very, very aesthetic. Um, which is, I guess, it produces very high quality generations that let's say Adobe, based on all their stock images, probably won't be able to get to within the next half a year. I might, maybe in the next year, they'll be able to get there. Um, but I don't think the Adobe tool is yet at a super practical level compared to say Midjourney or Stable Diffusion, which is fully customizable um, and just a very open source tool where you can just feed whatever data set you want into it and just go nuts. Um, so it's kind of like this weird black hole where, yeah, you could make whatever you want with that, but I don't know. Uh, and this is weird, James. I'm like saying the word porn too much on the podcast, but in the same way you can... Not at all. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> in the same way you can generate porn with stable diffusion, as an example, if you want to like generate naked girls, you can do it. People can draw naked, have been able to draw naked girls and pornography throughout all of history like since we've been able to pick up a pen so i guess the controversy comes is stable diffusion just like a pen a tool a, a tool in some ways and it's not it's up to the responsibility of the person holding the tool to do to do something correctly um rather than like legislate around it so i don't know that to me is something that really comes to mind and i think is very very important I think for myself, as someone who uses generative image technology, like to me, I will always try to like, use it in an ethical way. Um, I think the other thing that comes to mind as well is, um, I guess, of course, if you're talking to ChatGPT, you're feeding it a lot of information. And I think organizations themselves to get widespread organizational use, um, I think it can be yeah, a bit of a challenge and a bit of a concern for many organizations. So I think there probably will be solutions within this space coming soon. I know Microsoft, and you might again know more about this than me, uh, but I know Microsoft, like for example, they can pull information, their data set is just like all on your sh um, SharePoint as an example, like it just takes all your internal information and then can like very rapidly pull it, um, which would be very useful um, for organizations. So. Um, yeah, there is a lot of things that are concerning, um, not just from like, I'm going to lose my job, which in my mind is, yes, people will lose their jobs, but I think overall will be elevated. But I think there's all these other more ethical issues. It's a societal issue. It's more than yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the jobs. Yeah. It's more than the jobs. Um, and of course, that extrapolates all the way to like, oh my God, Skynet kind of like level mm -hmm. of concern. Um so, yeah. Um, oh, one of the other things as well that I wanted to mention that is a concern of mine when it comes to AI is, I know you mentioned we have a, like, we can sense the uncanny valley. My dad, he is pretty old. He likes watching YouTube. Um, but I get very worried about the content he consumes because a lot of the older generations, they don't have that sixth sense. They weren't brought up with technology. They could be fed anything AI generated, like fake news and things like that. I know, of course, we've seen in the past, we just fake news 
um, older generations in particular can be like catch on to that very quickly. Fake um, news and now deep fakes, like there's all deep fakes. Of- yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that to me is very, very concerning because there's a huge population of people on planet earth that is just kind of, I don't know, they're not going to have that sixth sense. They're not going to have that uncanny valley that we have. They're just going to think, oh, that's how it is. And there needs to be a way to be able to like identify those things um, Mm -hmm. to make sure that those people are kind of, I guess, in some ways kept safe. So I think, I think that's when I think about that too, with respect to, for example, my parents and also just thinking, just even projecting into the future, like 20 years from now, I'll be that person Mm. from the last generation who doesn't know this new stuff. That's right. I will be fooled. And like, there's, there's no point in thinking that, we're all special and like, you know, we're different from everybody else. No, we're not. I mean, we are, but in a lot of ways we're not. Right. And I think it also requires like a kind of, we need to have empathy for different generations of people older and younger than ourselves. It's not productive to be like, yeah, that's not a problem because Mm. I can deal with it or, or to be overly cynical about, Oh, you know, this new generation, they're growing up on these tools. Like there's going to be no more creativity, you know, hashtag old person yelling at clouds again. Um, there's none of that stuff is really that productive. I think we just need to have some, I'm trying to be optimistic about this. We need to have empathy about for each other, like everybody else. And just recognize that everybody absorbs the technology different, right? Whether mm. you're, if you're neurodivergent, if you're of a certain culture, certain background, like it's not just yourself, but it's also the other people around you that are going to be affected. And if you can't see past yourself, it's just very hard. Yeah. I think we got them all out, James, like the thoughts on (laughs) AI and things like that. (laughs) I felt like, I feel like this podcast is like wonderfully splintered into this like AI (laughs) podcast. Like this is the great thing about this podcast. This is why I love it is that I feel like every Kind of like how you talked about your career, like, you know, going into engineering or going to a painter, uh, becoming a designer. I feel like every episode of this show has become now, like, is there a sliding doors moment where, like, it it's, it, it fractures into a, another podcast or something <laughs> else. And it's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And, um, but yeah, Sean, um, I just want to say I really enjoyed this conversation. It was It was wonderful talking to you. And I don't really know how to properly end this just, but other than to say like, this could probably go on for another three hours. Yeah, it really could. I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just really, really enjoy catching up with you and just talking about this stuff. And uh, I, I hope you, you somewhat enjoyed it as well. No, of course not. Always happy to talk James and anyone else who wants to reach out. Um, yeah. So no, very, very like, to be honest, James, it's just very, very good to catch up yeah, more than anything. Yes. Sean, what is the best place for people to connect with you or to find you where you would like to be found on the internet? Yeah, I think probably two places. Um, kind of my more creative place on Instagram. You can find it at Sean Brown underscore creates. So that's S-E-A-N, brown like the color, underscore creates. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. There's another, if you're interested in the career talk and things like that, that's uh, Sean Brown 156 is the LinkedIn name on the hyperlink um yeah that's probably the best places to reach out to me excellent please do reach out to sean he's uh, a wonderful person and uh thank you again sean for taking the time no thanks very much james very very like really enjoyed it thanks